Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to South Hills. We're glad you're here. My name is Randy, and we are stoked that you took time out of your weekend uh, to hang out with us. Uh, Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. It is that because that is the only people that exist here. And so if if you're imperfect, uh, you came to the right place. Uh, And so we are so, so stinking glad that you are hanging out with us today. Um, I'm super excited about Family Month. It is a big deal for us at our church. And so as Charlie said, uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, invite cards on your seat. Um, Please invite your friends. Uh, Everybody you know has a family and uh, we're gonna be investing in families all month long during the month of October. All kinds of fun stuff and great stuff and food for kids and it's like a giant party almost every week. Um, uh, But right out of the gate next week, we're talking about um, what do you do with people that frustrate you? What do you do with those people that you love, but they're just like are grading against you? How do you deal with that? So we're gonna like right out of the gate. We're not even waiting for, you know, to talk about the hard stuff. Uh, We're gonna jump right out of the gate and talk about that next week. So I can't wait. Uh, So bring a friend. It's a great opportunity uh, to do that. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where uh, you're with a group of people or you're with a group of friends and everybody's kind of all into the same thing. Maybe it's a movie or, 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 you know, some experience that they've had, but but you just kind of missed it or you don't get it or you're not a fan uh, and, and you're just like, I, you just kind of feel left out. You're just like, what are they talking about? I don't care. Uh, and, and you're just kind of out on your own. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And I was thinking this week that there's, there's actually a number of different things that, that people seem to be into that I'm, I'm not into. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but um, the, like, I don't, get, um, I, I don't get skinny jeans. I don't get guys walking around in tight girl jeans. Like I, that doesn't, make a lot of sense. And probably because I can't wear skinny jeans, that, that might help with me not getting it. Um, or I, I don't get, I have, um, I, a long time ago made this very public sort of um, renouncement of pumpkin spice. I don't get pumpkin spice, the obsession with pumpkin spice. And so now every year about this time of year, people just inundate me with stuff on Facebook of like, hey, here's a pumpkin spice mask now. And here's this food product. I saw this week that Pringles came out with a pumpkin spice potato chip. That is disgusting. If you eat that, we are not friends. Like go away, get away from me. Can we just settle down with the pumpkin spice stuff. It's just bullying its way into everything. One of the other things I don't get, and I know, and probably it's because I'm not the target demographic, but I don't get TikTok. I know it's like the world's biggest thing ever. I understand how it works. Like, and again, maybe I'm just too old, but people are constantly sending me TikTok videos. There's people in this room that you go to, like you, you miss out on sleep because you're just up late looking at TikTok videos. You fall down a TikTok hole and you just, and I, I just don't get it. And every time somebody sends me a video, I'm like, oh yeah, TikTok is a thing. Like I don't even have the app on my phone. So I'm just like, or, or this, is, this is another one that, that's kind of, that's always sort of perplexed me is karaoke. Like I'm pretty sure there's a reason that it primarily takes place in a bar because there's a lot of activities that seem like a lot more fun when you're intoxicated than when you're sober. Like I've never been with a group of sober people that are like, hey guys, let's sing to each other. No, no. what are you talking about? And, and sometimes we don't get things because we don't want to. Other times we don't get them because we just can't figure it out. Like my, my parents and grandparents' generation with technology uh, my wife's grandma, um, she passed away a couple years ago. Her, we called her Momo and she died when she was 90 and, uh, and Popo lived to be 94. Her husband, they were married 72 years, uh, just awesome people. But uh, a few years before uh, she died, um, the family bought her an iPad so everybody could FaceTime with her. And she constantly like had it up to her face 
you know, like trying to speak into the end of it, you know, like it was a phone. Um, and, and it was like, no, Mo, Momo, no, just move it, move it out. We can, it's all, all, we, all we got is your nose. Mo, Momo, come on. So sometimes it's just like, we don't get it, right? And then there's other times we don't get something because we don't understand it or we can't relate to it. Like, like if you've ever traveled or been in a new environment, you ever gone somewhere else and, and, and you just know right away, like, okay, this is a completely different culture. This is a completely different, that like everybody seems to know what's going on. I'm totally like, I don't get the backstory. I don't know what's, I don't get the context. Uh, and, and if you've ever just stepped into a new environment, you know what that's like. Because it's definitely true, even in a place like church, especially if church is new to you. If you've never, you know, if you didn't grow up going to church, you know, your only experiences were like weddings and funerals, maybe the occasional like Christmas or Easter service. Um, and, and you step into church and everybody kind of seems to know what to do, or they kind of know the songs and what's going on. Um, and you're just, you know, and, and when you step into the environment, it can be like, there's things that are happening that you're like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, what's up with the singing? Like, there are, again, there's not a lot of places in our culture where we get together with groups of people and we sing. We just don't do it. Maybe at a concert, but, but like worship, what we just did together, that's not intended to replicate a concert. Like nobody's up here trying to perform. Like there's something else to it. But, and so if you're not used to it, it can be kind of weird. And even if you grew up going to church, there's still things about church that I think can feel like that too. When I was a kid, I, I spent, you know, we were, we had church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And like, we were there all the time. It was like a second home. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, communion was one of those things that just didn't even make a lot of sense to me. And I grew up and my parents explained it and the pastor would always talk about it. And I understood like what it meant. I, I, I just, you know, I, I, in my head, I was just like, I can see why it's good to learn about God or help people in need or that we learn to be generous. I know the story of Jesus, but I just don't understand like the crackers and the grape juice thing. And like, could we just use potato chips and like, you know, Kool-Aid, would that be okay? <laughs> you know, like, you know, like a kid would think. And the truth is sometimes as the churches, like we do a good job insisting that something is important, but we don't always do a, go do a good job explaining why the thing that we just said is important, why it's important. No matter how long you've been around church, you've probably experienced that at some level. I, I've been a pastor more than 25 years. I hate to admit it, but it's, it's true. And, 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 and the truth is part of our mission at South is, is like we work really hard at being the kind of place that doesn't assume that everybody who walks through the door is on the same page or that everybody knows what's going on or everybody just kind of assumes. Like we're not a place that kind of blindly pushes people into taking religious, you know, making religious experiences and take, making the jump into them. Instead, we actually want to just bring people into conversations and invite them to experience what God has for them as they begin that journey of relationship with Jesus. And the reality is in the scriptures, when you begin to read the scriptures, God never does anything for any superficial or meaningless reason at all. He, he's not into busy work. He's not busy constructing a maze to see if we can find our way to the cheese. He's not designing some spiritual obstacle course to see who deserves to have a relationship with him. He's not setting up tasks and tests to have you pledge and prove your allegiance to him. Every single thing God does in relationship to you is for your wholeness and your healing. It's for your health and your well-being. So, uh, a few weeks ago, we began this series called All Together Now. And, and really, we engaged this conversation 
from the, the perspective, kind of asking the question, what could happen if we as a church, as a campus, but also, you know, we're a part of a, a much bigger church that has campuses sort of all over. What if we as a church, what would happen if we kind of unleashed the power of everybody that's a part of, of our faith communities, that we all moved the same direction and, and did the same things? You know, because if you've ever had one of those experiences where, where everybody, where, it, you know, this crowd of people was all doing the same thing or saying the same thing or moving the same direction, you know how incredibly powerful that can be. I, I, a couple of weeks ago in our huddle time, we have a little huddle with all the vol- people that are volunteering for the day that we do before church. And, and in that huddle, we kind of were laughing and joking about some of those experiences and uh, and and the two things that always come to my my mind is, is if you've ever been anywhere with a, a group of people of any size and the Garth Brooks song, Low Places Come On, you know that every single person stops. And even if they don't know the words, when it gets to the chorus, everybody knows the chorus of Garth Brooks, Low Places. And everybody sings it and everybody, there's just like this sense of connection and community around that song. And then a few, you know, going back, I don't know, maybe 15 years or so, maybe well, actually farther than that. I, sometimes I forget how old I am, you guys. Okay, so going back maybe 30 years now at this point, um, I, I went to this event, uh, this gathering at the Oakland Coliseum where the, the Oakland A's play and, and, uh, and, and it was a gathering for men and there were speakers and it was a two-day event and there were speakers and worship. It was huge, there's 50,000 men in the room. And when 50,000 men to get together, some really cool stuff happens, but also some kind of foolishness stuff happens. And so um, of all the things that happened, all the stuff people were into and all the stuff that people cheered for and you know, worshiping and all that stuff, um, during the break, during one of the breaks on the second day, this guy climbed to the very top row of the very top uh, of the stadium and he had this giant styrofoam airplane and he threw it and everybody just kind of turned and like collectively held their breath and we were watching it and it was kind of dipping and it flew forever. Everybody thought it was going to crash, but it didn't crash and it would dip and it would come back up and it would tilt this way. And then, and then the, as it cleared the upper deck and it came to the lower deck, everybody's like, whoa. And then it was like coming down the lower deck. Everybody thought it was gonna crash and it didn't crash. And so people started cheering. And then it somehow, it had to be the Lord, you guys. Um, not, not really, but somehow the, the styrofoam plane made its way all the way to the center stage and just kind of glided to a stop right at the center stage. And you would have thought in that moment, the Oakland A's won the world championship because the place went bonkers. I mean, it was like, it was awesome. See, there's something powerful that happens when we all move together. And so the question we're going to tackle this morning in this conversation about church and faith and God and moving all together now is, is really the, the question centering around this thing called baptism. Like, like what is the big deal why does God make such a big deal out of us getting into water and being baptized in water? And, and I'm sure that no matter what your church or spiritual background or your faith background is, uh, you, you maybe haven't even thought about it that much, but you have some very specific thoughts or impressions or ideas uh, about baptism and what it means or what it isn't or what, you know, even if that thought is, yeah, I don't know much about it, but I know that's not for me. I know I do not want to get into a tank of water in front of a bunch of people. I don't know. You know, like that, that might be all that you know. And, and because it's such a public experience, it's really easy for us to just sort of like, yeah, no, no thanks. But my hope is this morning that I can 
uh, maybe change some of that for at least a few of us, that, that together we'll begin to see it for what it is, that it's a powerful, life-changing step of faith for those of us who are followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're here and, and, and you're just kind of checking it out, you're like, I'm not sure about all this stuff, man, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Uh, but we just want you to know, like, you can kind of set back. We're going to pull the curtain back a little bit around this thing that happens at, at uh, all churches. And what does it mean? And what does it look like? And why do we do it? Because the truth is, almost everything we do together when we gather as a church is a visible expression of an invisible reality. Whether that's going back, like I referenced this a second ago, to, to worship. Like, like we're not just singing words on a screen. That the idea is that, that, that and the scriptures actually say this, that, that God is everywhere, but something beautiful and profound and, and spiritual happens when people gather together and worship him. That, that he comes and he shows up in that space in a way that, that he doesn't in other places. And so when we worship, like we're singing and we're responding to the band and the people leading us. But the truth is, is like our focus and our attention and our affection is being pushed towards God. And whether it's giving or praying or when we open the scriptures like we're doing now or, or when we receive communion or, or even when, you know, we have a tendency to kind of break things down into like what's spiritual and what's not spiritual. But, but even something like when we, you know, we have a, a crew of people that roll up at 6.30 in the morning to unload the truck to set up everything to, to make church happen. And I can tell you at 6.30 in the morning, unloading a truck in the cold with a couple of guys, it doesn't sound or feel very spiritual at, at all. You know, and you're sweating and grunting and people smashing their hands and, you know, nobody wants to be up at that hour. Uh, but, but the truth is, is that we're doing that because this is not just a school. This is not just a club that we gather. Like we want to actually have an experience together as a faith community. And, and so even something like setting up chairs, that, that is a, a visible expression of an invisible reality. And, and baptism is the same way. So when Jesus was on the earth, there were several people who recorded and wrote about the things that he said and did, and, and, and they had different perspectives. And those, those books are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew recorded one of the last things that Jesus ever said. And so we're going to actually begin here because this is the, one of the reasons why baptism is even a thing for us is because Jesus talked about it. And so this is his goodbye speech. This is the last thing he's ever gonna get to say on the earth to his disciples. It's his final words. And so I, I want you to check out what he says in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says this, it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you, you may have heard those words before. And we kind of have that mechanism when we baptize people, that we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and this is why. And, and so Jesus, Jesus is like, you know, he's the last time he's going to talk to his disciples, his followers. And he's like, all right, guys, I got three things. And he could say anything right now, right? He, he could go, go and make disciples and build big churches. But he didn't say that. He, he wasn't like, go and make disciples. And you know what? I'd, I'd really like it if everybody who was associated with me got some Jesus swag, like just, you know, maybe a bracelet or a chain with a nice cross on it, just to kind of remember me by you guys. No, he didn't say anything like that. He said, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so as he's huddling them up, okay, everybody kind of gather in. He's like, look, I know I said a lot of stuff these last three years. And if you don't remember everything I said, that's okay. But try to, you know, try to teach 
people, everything that you can remember, but make sure that once they believe, once they know that they wanna follow me, once they know they wanna be my disciple, it's not enough for them just to sort of believe it in their head. It's gotta actually make its way into the core of their life. Because this isn't just about checking a religious box. It's about your identity. It's about who you are, about who you're becoming, about where the foundation of your life is. And whenever there's a heart change, there's always a corresponding action or life change. And that's what baptism is. It's an outward public declaration of an inward personal decision. It's a visible demonstration of an invisible transformation that has occurred in our life. But I don't want you to forget this. I want to keep coming back to this. Remember, this isn't for God. It's for you and me. It's not a hoop that he's making us jump through. He's actually leading us towards something for our own good. And so in the scriptures, God gives us actually several different pictures to help us understand why this matters. So I want you, I want to, I want you to check this out. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter is speaking to a large crowd and he's talking to them about sin and who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and the message of Jesus and what it was about. And the people in the crowd, they knew in their gut that he was right. So look at what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so they're listening and they're like, we're convinced, like, you're right. We know this is true. We know this is real. What do we do? And so Peter gives them three things. He says, repent, which just means to turn around, to change directions. And he says, don't just turn anywhere, turn to God. That's the second thing. And then he says to be baptized. And you go, why does he say to that? Why does he say to do that? And he actually tells us right after that. He says, be baptized. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. So the picture that he's actually giving us is that of a bath, of washing. See, all through the scriptures, God actually tells us what you and I already sense and know. We don't, we don't talk about it much. We, we know it's true about us. We know it's true when we look around the world, but he tells us in the scriptures that sin, that the wrong that we've done, that the way that we have violate, violated our own conscience and hurt and damaged other people and hurt and damaged ourselves, that our own brokenness, our own guilt, that shame builds up and attaches itself to us and it stains our hearts and our souls. That our own choices leave us broken and messed up and dirty. That the chaos and mess in our life is primarily due to us. And that is a truth that we all know and feel deep inside that we have a dark side, we have a shadow side. And we see it when we look at ourselves and we see it when we look at the world around us, that there is a profound brokenness and darkness inside of humanity that we just don't know what to do with and that we are powerless against at times. But that is the good news, that there is no darkness that his light cannot pierce, that there's nothing so broken that Jesus can't heal it that there's no one so dirty that he cannot make them clean, that there is no stain so dark that he cannot cleanse it. I was, for the first huge chunk that I was in ministry, I was a youth pastor, and um, there was a period of time where I took a group of students every year 
uh, to Mexico and we would go and stay at an orphanage and work at the orphanage and do construction work for them. And um, one particular year we had traveled from Vegas down uh, into Mexico. And as we arrived, they told us um, that we had no running water, that we would have to, we couldn't use the, the bathrooms and the toilets. We have to use the outhouses and we would not be taking any showers. And so for eight days, me and a couple of leaders and a big group of teenagers, we worked and we poured concrete and we built housing and we got filthy, dirty, and sweaty, but we couldn't really clean up. We couldn't take a shower. And I had like a, a pack of baby wipes. And so everybody got one baby wipe every day. I was like, here's what you get to do to clean yourself. And, and I don't, have you ever had one of those moments where you can stink and you not, you're not really, you, you don't know it. Like other people know, they're like, whoa, but you're just like, what? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's not what this was. This was one of those things where it's so bad, you can smell yourself. You're just like, oh God, please help me. I need somebody help. I gotta get clean. I, I can't handle it. And the day, I, the day I got home, I took a shower. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life, just, my life, just the water running on me and like getting clean. It just had never felt so good. And that is the picture in the scriptures. And so in the New Testament, there's in fact the, uh, the word baptize. <clears throat> uh, the New Testament wasn't written in English. Um, you know, I know like we're just like, man, you know, English is the center of the universe and Jesus spoke English. No, Jesus didn't speak English. He spoke Aramaic. And, 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 and when Jesus lived, it was at the height of the Roman Empire. And so everybody spoke Greek and, and most everything that was written was written in Greek. And so the New Testament letters, many of them are written in Greek and they're translated from Greek into English. And so um, the word baptize in the New Testament, it actually comes from a Greek word that's baptizo. And it wasn't a spiritual or theological word at all. It was just a regular everyday word. It was a cultural word for them. And it just simply meant to dip or submerge into water or to wash or to bathe. And so we only know baptize as a spiritual word. It's something that happens at church. It's something that people that of faith do. It's something that kind of goes along with being a follower of Jesus, but it didn't actually start out that way. In fact, the word, it was just an everyday word. Like I said, it would be like if I was like, after dinner, you know, like I went to the sink and started announcing that I was going to baptize the dishes so that they can go to heaven after they're broken. No, like that, 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 that's the way it was used. It was just everyday language. And so right before Jesus comes on the scene, there was a guy named John, uh, John the Baptist. And John was a distant relative of, Je of Jesus. He was awesome, but he was also kind of a little bit crazy and eccentric. And he would go around and stop in random places and tell people about God and what God was doing. And everywhere he went, all of these people would show up to hear him speak. And the crazy part of it is that he only had one message, at least one that's recorded for us in the scriptures. Now we've been a church for, I don't know, going on right about right at a year. Like, can you imagine if I showed up every single week and said the same things every, like, I preach the same message 52 times. Like the second week you'd be like, I don't, does he, does he have a stroke? You said that last week, right? About week four, you'd be like, get some new material. You would just immediately be like, this is the dumbest church I've ever gone to. The guy says the same thing every week. That's what John, Lisa, what's recorded for us in the gospels, that's what John the Baptist did. He said the same three things over and over and over again. He said, repent, turn around, turn to God, and be baptized, which actually sounds a lot like Peter's message that we read from the book of Acts, which probably is where Peter got it from, is from John. 
But I, I want you to see this because this is actually for us as people who are followers of Jesus. It's where baptism gets, gets its start. And so just imagine this. G, John goes down into the river and he steps into the water and it's waist deep. And he says, three, he says his three things, repent, turn to God and be baptized. But, but this is a public space. It's a public river a place where people were washing their clothes. Some people were probably in the water already bathing. And then they hear John say, repent, turn to God, be baptized. So they would have heard, repent, turn to God. You better wash yourself. And I can just imagine that for some of them in that moment, they're like, what is he talking about? Yeah, we're in the water but something happened every time John began to speak that the people who heard him, they somehow knew that he wasn't just talking about washing, that something gripped them. And just like what happened with Peter, their hearts were pierced and they knew that when he started talking about cleansing, that he wasn't talking about their laundry or even washing their body, that he was talking about a scrubbing and a cleansing of their soul. He was talking about something so much deeper and more beautiful and more profound and something truly free. Over the years, whenever I have talked uh, with people about getting baptized, there's always someone who tells me that they're not ready. And the reason they're not ready is because they need to get some things together first. They, they, need, they, need a, they have a particular area of their life that they really wanna get cleaned up. But th- that, that's the thing is we don't get baptized because we're clean. We get baptized as part of the process that God uses to clean up our life. It is not salvation in the water, but there's something profoundly spiritual that happens between us and God when we're baptized. And I wonder for some of us, isn't there something deep in our hearts, deep inside of us that you just go, man, I just long for that kind of cleansing in my life. The second picture that God gives us of baptism is of new life. So God uses these really stark images of death and burial and resurrection. In fact, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter six said this, he says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death And we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may may live a new life. See, baptism is this incredible declaration that you and I, no matter who we are, no matter what our story is, no matter what's happened, no matter what we've done in our life, that we get a new story, that we have a fresh start that this thing that we all think of as life, that God's actually going, there's death. You don't actually know what life is until you step into relationship with your creator. Have you ever reached the point where you're just kind of like tired of your own act? You're just like, I am so over me. If somebody could just help me be better at being me. I, I have been there many times. Have you ever just wanted for there just to be kind of a reset button for your story where you could just kind of begin again? The apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven, he describes it this way. He says, there's, di- there's this dynamic that's at work in my life where the good that I want to do, I don't do that stuff. But the dirt and the sin and the evil that I don't want to do 
that's the stuff that I end up doing. Maybe you can relate. I, I, I don't want you to miss this, this middle picture that we're talking about. Because I, I think we underestimate and under-celebrate what's actually happening in us, what has occurred to us when we step into relationship with Jesus. Because it's not just punching a ticket to heaven. It's not just that you have some cosmic life coach who's cheering you on to believe in you, which he does. And you are going, you will be with him in heaven when you step from this life into the next. And there's no doubt, we actually have said it many times here, that following Jesus makes you better at life. But the beautiful mystery of baptism is that we step into the water and as we go down into the water, our old selves and our old stories with all of our old habits and our old hurts and our old hangups, they are dead and buried with Jesus in a watery grave. And like him and through him, when we are raised out of that water, we are raised to a new life and a brand new story. That the person that you were before that moment is dead and you are brand new with a new identity in Jesus. In another letter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he uses this example that kind of shows us what this looks like. So he uses a a, a story from the Old Testament, the Old Testament story of the exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he uses that story as a picture of baptism. So this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse one. He says, I don't want you to forget about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Okay, so a little backstory here. Just like the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the central story to the Christian faith, the Exodus was the central story for the Jewish people, for for the nation of Israel, that they were enslaved in Egypt and God sends Moses as the deliverer and sets them free from that slavery. But as they, after they left Egypt, the Pharaoh changes his mind and he pursues them with his army to kill them all. And so they're pinned between the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptian army that's kind of bearing down on them from the other side. And they're all freaking out that they're like, God set them free, that they're gonna die in the wilderness. They're gonna die in the desert. And so God tells Moses to go to the, go to the edge of the sea and stretch out his hand. And God supernaturally parts the Red Sea and all of the people of the nation of Israel, they walk through the water to freedom and all of those things that all of those people, that army that was pursuing them were consumed by the sea. They walked through the water to freedom. And when they came out of the water on the other side, they weren't just taking another step. They were stepping into a new life and a new reality. See, when they went down into the water, they were oppressed and they were fleeing for their lives. When it came out, they were free. When they went down into the water, their lives were in danger. But when they came out, they were safe in the hands of the God who had rescued them. When they went down into the water, they were terrified. But when they came out, they were dancing. When they went down into the water, they were victims and slaves. But when they came out, they had a completely new identity as their own nation. When they went down into the water, they, li- they were literally just like everybody else. But when they came out, they would step into a new relationship with God and a new way to live. 
They went down into the water. They didn't have a God story. All they had was the old stories of their grandparents and great-grandparents' generation. All they knew was what God had done in previous generations. They didn't have their own story. They had somebody else's story. They knew about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, but when they came out of the water, they had a story of their own. See, no matter who you are or what you've been through or what you're facing with God because of Jesus, your story is just beginning. It isn't over. And how can that be? And how is that possible? And why is that true? Well, the apostle Paul actually tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Isn't there something in every single human soul that wants to put some things behind us and start a new life and a new story? And maybe just this morning, to start that new life and new story with God. That is the picture of baptism. Finally, the third picture of baptism that I want you to see is that of a wedding ceremony. And I I admit, this one's kind of weird at first, um, but just as two people become officially and publicly connected together when they get married, there's this reality that with baptism that we become officially and publicly connected and united with Jesus. Again, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 6. He says, by being baptized, we have been joined with him in a death like his, so we will certainly also be joined with him in a resurrection like his. And so right here in this explanation that he's talking about here and then other places in Ephesians where he's right in the middle of a a section where he's talking about husbands and wives and then he draws a direct comparison to baptism. Like all of the language, so much of the language the Apostle Paul uses when he's talking about being joined together, being united together is the language of husband and wife. It's the language of a wedding. I've performed a lot of weddings over the years and I've never once, okay, maybe once, but it led to a bunch of questions that I had for them. But, But almost never are the bride and groom like, hey, you know what, like, we're spending a lot of money. There's a lot of people coming, but we just kind of like, I don't know, just keep this sort of low key. Like, I mean, do we really got to do the ring thing in front of everybody? Maybe not tell everybody. Could we just, maybe the three of us could just keep it between. Like I've never, usually if they're doing that, I'm like, okay, so what's the deal? Like you, you got to explain what's going on. Like, or have you ever been around people who are newly in love? They are annoying, Right? They tell everybody, like, like <clears throat> I know it's maybe a tad early for Christmas movies, but um, I love the movie Elf. Any, anybody like Elf? Right? You know, after Buddy goes on his date with Jovi, and he's in a suit, he's not in his, he's not in his Elf costume, he's in his suit, and he comes into his dad's work and his dad's boardroom, and he's like, I'm in love! I'm in love and he takes off his big poofy hat and he's like I don't care who knows and he throws his hat you know what I'm talking about like that's that's what love is like right that that's how it works but and here's this incredible reality that I want you to see this morning that God sees you and me for who we are with all of our faults all of our mess all of our brokenness 
but he looks beyond it and he gives us his love and his grace and his life. And because of Jesus, he wipes it all away and gives us a new story. And can you imagine embracing all of that and just being like, okay, I don't mean, I don't, I don't, okay, God, I don't, I don't really want people to know that we're together. Okay, so like, isn't, could we just kind of keep this sort of on the down low, you and me? Isn't that, isn't that kind of crazy? Baptism matters because God gives us a new story and a new life, but it's not, it's not a magic wand, all right? That there's a momentum to our old story and our old selves and our old life. And from the outside, even when you step into a relationship with Jesus and he begins to, to work in your life and there's this, everything is changed and new on the inside, from the outside, sometimes our new story and our new selves aren't always obvious to other people. And sometimes they're not even obvious all that much to us. Sometimes it takes time for that invisible reality that's happening in your soul and in your life to start to become visible and work its way out of the inside of your life to the exterior. But when we take the step of baptism and begin to publicly identify ourselves with Jesus and with his life, it actually begins to move our faith from just something that we talk about, just something we kind of believe, to being something that we are stepping into and living into. It becomes an anchor in our story that makes that invisible reality of our faith visible, not only to other people, but also to us. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've already been baptized, I, I want you to step back and remember who it is and what he's done and what he's doing in you. I want you to remember that you have crossed over. You're not just kind of a religious person, but you have crossed over from death into life. That, that it's not just, oh, I'm a church person now. That you are actually living into a relationship with the God who created you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and not baptized and haven't taken that step, I don't want you to feel embarrassed or ashamed or like you're, you know, you've done the wrong thing. My question for you is, isn't there something about your relationship with God? Isn't there something about your experience? Where you just go, I want to take this to the next level. I, I want there to be this incredible, that what's happening in here to begin to make its way out here. Over the years of being a pastor, I have baptized way more kids than I have adults. I've, I've baptized plenty of adults, but way more kids. And I think part of the reason is, and if you have kids, you know this, like when we're, when we're children, we're much more willing to just admit and own that we're not perfect. We're much more willing to just kind of be aware of our own sense of brokenness and inadequacy. And they're so innocent anyway. Like, it's not like they've, you know, robbed a bank or hurt, you know, whatever. They, they just took a cookie that they weren't supposed to or, um, you know, about six months ago, we were working in our kid's bedroom and we found 
an enormous cachet of dumb, dumb rappers stuffed under one of our kids' beds. And they were just like, because they were in the room when we found it. Like, what is this? You know, that nervous thing that happens, right? But, but as kids, like we're, we're usually more willing to say, yeah, I'm, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I don't, I haven't had the time or opportunity because I haven't been alive long enough to do all this incredibly terrible stuff by adult standards, but I know that there's something profoundly broken about me. And I sense that Jesus is the one that can help me with that. And so as kids, we're so much more willing to step into that and take that step. I I wonder... Is it possible for us? Because as adults, we're, we're always like wallpapering over all the stains and brokenness and stuff in our lives and projecting the very best of ourselves. I, I wonder if just being honest with who we are with ourselves and honest about who we are with God and honest about our story and where we're at with one another if there's not something that God wants to do and can only do in that moment when we're willing to say, and this is uncomfortable, but there's something powerful and beautiful to this reality that I know I need to step into. And so my invitation to you this morning is, if you have not been baptized, let me baptize you next week. And I know there... Maybe you're just like, oh, you got a list of reasons why. We could do it. It would be awesome. We have a big giant horse trough. We're going to set it up right out there on the concrete. And I'll dip you in some water and we will celebrate and throw a party. Because this is what's actually happening. Because seeing that your life has changed gives other people hope that maybe their life could change too. And maybe you feel like, I mean, I still got a lot of changing left to do. And to that, I would say, join the club. Sometimes I think we, we might feel like we shouldn't share our own stories until they're further along. But can I just tell you that your imperfect progress is exactly what someone else needs to maybe begin theirs and step into theirs and step into a relationship with God. I mean, it sounds weird. It sounds kind of funny to think that somebody could look at me and go, man, if God loves that guy, if that guy can make it, I, but that, that's the only story I have. It's the only story you have. Nobody, nobody has ever been inspired by my awesomeness. I'm telling you, and I have tried to prove how awesome I am to a lot of people. No one's ever been inspired by that. But a lot of people have been inspired by my brokenness. A lot of people have. And the same is true for you. Same is true for you. And so here's what I encourage you to do. In your seat, there's just a little card that looks like this. And all we need is your name. And just write baptism or baptized. You can leave it in that drop box. You can take it to the connect counter. You can bring it to me. I would love to baptize you next week. Let's pray together.